we continue um, our series in uh, Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus, the servant of the Lord, in Isaiah 53. And we're looking today at um, verses 10 to 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offspring for guilt, he shall see an offering for guilt, sorry. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is a living word, and it has power, power to divide joints and marrow power to cut like a sword to the very heart and soul of us. And so, Lord, we approach your word with humility. Um, we approach it, Lord, with hearts that are open to be taught and to receive. Lord, we believe that through your spirit, you will speak to us and that you have a word of instruction, a word of encouragement, a word of correction, a word for us individually and a word for us as a church. So Holy Spirit, speak through your word and help us to be hearers, but also doers of this, your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time of the year, we get the, uh, the privilege of being able to go into school and do lessons and just, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, a team of us went in to do some lessons about Easter with year six, which is the oldest uh, class in Newhall Junior School. And uh, it's always great. So we, we use artwork, uh, we use uh, film, we use uh, debate, all sorts of media to tell the story of Easter from Good Friday, from uh, Palm Sunday, right through uh, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday to Easter Sunday. Um, didn't happen this year, but a few years ago, uh, a boy put his hand up um, before I'd even said anything. This is often what happens in schools, isn't it? You go in and before you've said anything, they've got questions. And it's not always, can I go to the toilet? And just on this, I think it was a couple of years, well, it's pre-COVID, so whenever COVID, I don't even, when was that, two, three years ago? I can't even remember now. Um, one student put his hand up and he said, why is it called Good Friday? Great question, yeah? He said, why is it called Good Friday when that was a bad day? Jesus died. What a great question, isn't it? Um, and the reason that's a great question is it brings a profound truth out, doesn't it? That God overcame the evil and suffering of the cross to bring a greater good. So humankind called for Jesus to be crucified and to die the worst kind of death. And yet God 
use that death to pay the penalty for human sin and to reconcile us sinners with him. What an amazing turnaround that is, isn't it? The cross is the turning point of history. And that's the theme of Isaiah 53, 10 to 12. Terrible as it was, horrible as it was for Jesus to die in the way that he died, God brought a greater good out of Jesus' death. Because the death is not the end. It was the gateway for the resurrection. There are three things, you guessed it, um, <laughs> that this passage teaches us about how it was God's will to turn the evil of the cross to good. First, it was God's will for Jesus to have to suffer death to pay the debt of our sin. Verse 10 says this. It really does. Verse 10, we got that? that that's Acts 2. That's all right. Should be uh, the one before this, I think, somewhere. Oh, the one after. Sorry, I missed one out. It's my fault, Quentin. Entirely my fault. I missed out a verse. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here we go. I'm all over the place this morning. Verse 10, we'll go with this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and pro prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Do you see that? It was the Lord's will that he should die and be crushed. And yet, through his death, the will of the Lord will prosper. Um, but it will be through paying the debt of our sin. You, you and I know that from everyday life, uh, rec there, there's a price to be paid of forgiveness. Forgiveness is costly, right? If you fall out with somebody for whatever reason, there has to be reconciliation for the relationship to be sorted out, right? If it's not sorted out, the relationship is badly affected. And I'm sure all of you have experienced that in your family life and amongst friends. So if I wrong someone, the relationship is disrupted by my wrongdoing, right? And in order for the relationship to be sorted out, I need to pay a debt of some kind. So if I've stolen from someone, I would need to give back to that person at least what I've taken and probably more. I might even need to go to prison if it's serious. But the least I would need to do is to apologize to them and admit that I'd hurt them and done them wrong. If I damaged and lost someone's property, I would need to replace the broken or lost item. But not only that, I would need to say sorry to repair the damage that I'd done. Or if I'd hurt someone, if I'd been careless with my words, I would need to go to that person and do the costly thing of admitting that I had hurt them and upset them. In other words, for there to be reconciliation and forgiveness, a debt, a costly debt has to be paid. Sometimes that's property, sometimes that's money, but in all cases, it should always be 
a profound and sincere apology and acknowledgement of wrongdoing and how my sin has affected the relationship. Only once I've done that can reconciliation and forgiveness take place. And that's the situation. We are debtors in relation to God. God is utterly holy and perfect. We cannot come to him. We cannot be friends with him in our own strength. Um, however much good we do, we always fall short of the glory of God. Um, now, at this point, people object. Um, on, we often get this on Alpha, actually. We didn't this year, but most of the time we do. People say, okay, so you're saying I'm a sinner, I'm a debtor. But surely there are degrees of sin and evil. Uh, yeah, correct. Absolutely right. So people say, well, I'm not as bad as Putin, right? Now, he's, he's, so if you ask somebody for an example of evil and sin, people often go to Hitler or Putin or an abuser. You know, they'll say, yeah, I agree. There, there's evil and sin definitely exists, but it's over there. I'm basically a good person. I do work for charity. I work hard. I look after my family. And all of that, of course, is true in most cases. So when you mention sin, people object and they say, yeah, but I'm not like so-and-so. I can't, you know, I'm a good person. So there are levels of sin and evil, aren't there? So here's the problem. How do we answer people along those terms? Well, here's an illustration, all right? I came across this. This, this is not me, by the way. I, I, I did start as a teacher um, in a rented accommodation, but this is not talking about me. This is uh, a story. Imagine two newly qualified teachers, Matt and Tom, they're starting their first job and they're looking for cheap accommodation because teachers have to look for cheap accommodation, <laughs> especially in Surrey. Well, to their delight, a family friend, a wealthy music mogul with a stunning estate near the school, offers them his mansion to live in. And he says this, look, guys, I'm going to be abroad for a few years on business. I don't re really need the money. So enjoy my mansion for £10 a month. Well, the friends are ecstatic. The owner just says to them, look, just stay in touch. Look, this is a big place. It needs looking after. So please do respond to my emails, pay the rent and have a fantastic time. Just keep in touch. Well, the lads move in. Each one takes a wing of the mansion. Tom in the West Wing, the other guy in the East Wing. Well, Matt is a wild man. Yeah, he's a teacher. He's a wild man. He's a party animal. And soon the East Wing is trashed. Cigarette burns on the furniture, beer stains on the wall, mud trodden into the carpets. Everyone knows that when the owner returns, Matt should be rightly kicked out. But Tom is different. He's quiet and polite. He's so well behaved that the West Wing is spotless. Everyone assumes that the, the owner will be glad to let Tom stay. But when the owner returns, he kicks both of them out. Why? Friends of Tom are shocked. But to anyone who asks, the owner says this, look, I realize they're both different. Matt trashed the place while Tom was tidy. 
but actually they treated me both the same. Both of them totally ignored me. Neither of them emailed to say how the house was. Neither of them bothered to answer my email messages and the house is now seriously damaged. They couldn't even be bothered to pay the small rent. They thought it was so small that actually they've stopped paying it. So they both abused my kindness. So neither of them can stay. No one can quarrel with that because both Tom and his friend have abused his kindness. Both Matt and Tom have abused the kindness of the owner. God is the owner of his creation. Some of us um, have lived a wild life. We're like Matt who trashes everything that we come into contact with. A lot of us are like Tom. We look respectable, even religious. And yet we've ignored God. We've not kept in touch with him through prayer. We've lived an independent life without giving thanks to God for our daily food and creation. So it doesn't matter whether you're a Matt or a Tom, we all fall short of the glory of God, do you see? We're all sinners when you compare to God. The standard is God, not our standard, right? We all are born into this world and live independently and selfishly as though God is not Lord and King of creation. That's how we all enter the world. And so we all deserve God's judgment. Whether we're Putin or whether we're a person who does lots for charity, we all come under the condemnation, the judgment of God, right? The cross is the sign that we all need forgiveness. We all have a debt to pay with God. Doesn't matter how much good you do, you will never meet the holy perfection of God. That's the point of the cross, isn't it? The cross is level, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. None of us deserve God's kindness and mercy, not one. And yet Jesus spread out his arms and he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. For every single man, woman, child in the world, Jesus died to pay our debt, whether big or small, right? Amen. Here's the good news. Even though we don't treat God as we should, whether we're a Matt or a Tom, whether we're a righteous person or a world living person, none of us treat God as we should. And yet, God forgives us in Christ. Because Jesus lived the perfect life that we can't live. It's as if God said to us, you've got an exam and you've got to score 100% on this exam so that you can be my friend, right? So you do really well, you get a distinction, you get 89%, you hand in your paper, and God says, you've fallen short. But then Jesus comes forward with his exam paper with 100%, and he presents the paper to God, and he crosses out his name, and he puts your name on the top of the paper and says, look, here's your score of 100%. And he presents his score to the Father on your behalf. That's what Jesus does. He counts his own righteousness rather than ours. That's the gospel. 
And the good news is the will of the Lord prospers in his hands and there'll be many offspring. There'll be many children that come from the cross, from Jesus. When someone trusts in Jesus and accepts him, they become a child of God. They become an adopted son or daughter of Jesus. And God has many children and no grandchildren. Did you know that? <laughs> Doesn't matter how old you are, you're not a grandchild, you're a child of God, right? If you're a Christian, isn't that wonderful? God adopts you into his family and he calls you his child, his dearly loved child. Number two, second, it was God's will for Jesus to make people righteous. Verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. You see, what does the word justify mean? Well, this is Sunday school stuff, but I like Sunday school stuff because I remember it, right? It's just as if you'd never sinned, right? Simple. That's what justification means. It's to be made righteous. It's just as if you'd never sinned in Christ. God says not guilty, innocent for the person who trusts in Jesus. We are made righteous through Jesus. Because Jesus, the righteous one, was made sin. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, here's another illustration. Two people went through school and university together and they developed a close relationship. Life went on and they went different ways and lost contact. One went on to become a judge, the other went down and ended up living a life of a criminal. Well, one day the criminal appeared before the judge, his old friend. He had committed a crime to which he pleaded guilty. And the judge recognized his old friend and he faced a dilemma. He was the judge, so he had to be judge. He couldn't let the man off. On the other hand, he didn't want to punish the man because he loved him. So he told the man that he would find him the correct penalty for the offense, that is justice. Then he came down from his position as judge and he wrote a check out himself for the amount of the fine. He gave it to his friend saying that he would pay the penalty for him. So he was both just and loving at the same time. And that's an illustration of what God has done for us in Christ. He is both our judge, the cross is a sign of God's judgment on our sin, but he's also loved because the cross is a sign that Jesus dies in our place, a sign of God's love. It's not an innocent third party that God punishes. God in Christ takes the punishment for our sin. That's love. That's mercy. In Christ, God took the punishment for our sin. Another illustration that the New Testament uses is of Jesus is our representative. Um, but Adam is also our representative. Adam represents sinful humanity, right? Jesus represents humanity as righteous before God. So Adam is the representative of us all being unrighteous. Romans 5 says this, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners. You know what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? 
Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat and they were thrown out of the garden and a flaming sword was put across the entrance to the garden. They couldn't go back into the garden. They were excluded from God's intimate, intimate presence and from eternal life, right? Ever since Adam and Eve first sinned, all of us have been excluded from the Garden of Eden. We don't have access to God's life and intimacy. We're excluded, there's no way back, right? So you don't look convinced, yeah, you with me? Okay, thank you. Now at this point, some say that isn't fair. I've heard this argument um, quite a lot. Some say, but that's Adam's fault, it's not mine. I didn't choose that. I didn't choose to live outside the garden. What about, yeah, okay, Adam should take the hit. What about me? How do you answer that? Well, here's, here's, here's a good apologetic, right? I'm giving you some pointers here. Think about Russia. Do you think all of the people of Russia chose to go to war? Of course they didn't. Putin, it's, called, it's being called Putin's war, and rightly so. I know this because I've got a, a relative, a cousin on my mum's side who's living in Russia, right? So I've got some, I've got some inside knowledge here, and they're telling me on Messenger, this is not their war, right? They were Ukrainians who moved across the border years ago and now find themselves, one of the, the husband has been conscripted into the Russian army, didn't have any choice. So he's fighting against cousins on the other side of the border in Ukraine. How terrible is that? But they didn't get a choice. You see, Putin represents evil and all of the people of Russia have been put into conflict with their friends and neighbors in Ukraine against their will. And that's what Adam's sin does for us. This is the reality of living in a broken and fallen world. It's unfortunately when one person sins, other people get sucked in. You know this, don't you, in your own family. It only takes one person with an addiction to have an impact on others. It only takes the serious sin to be passed down the family line. That's not fair in some ways, but that's the way that the world works, isn't it? But thank God that in Christ, that pattern of addiction can be broken. People are set free. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to celebrate that on Easter Sunday, Pete, aren't we? Amen. But you know, the good news is there is one who represented us at the cross and made us righteous. That's Jesus, isn't it? Just as Adam caused us to be in the wrong relationship with Jesus, there is one who caused us to be in the right relationship with God. For just and also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Now, don't we want to pray that God puts in place somebody else in Russia who stands for peace and justice. Don't we want to pray for that? Or at the very least, removes Putin or changes Putin's heart. I don't know what God's going to do, but I believe he's at work. But can you imagine if there came into Russia somebody with a just and peaceful perspective who wants peace with their neighbors and not war? How liberating would that be for the Russian people? And in a similar way, 
Jesus wants peace between us and God. And so he gave his life that we might be reconciled and have peace and justice through the cross. Isn't that wonderful? He's our representative for righteousness. Isaiah 53 verse 11 says this, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Do you remember that on the cross for three hours, darkness fell over the land? Do you remember that? Between 12 noon and three o'clock in the afternoon, as Jesus hung there in agony, the darkness of God's judgment fell upon him. He carried our sin. He suffered God's just and righteous judgment on sin and evil and death. And when he was placed in the tomb, he was covered over in the darkness of death in the tomb. But then on Easter Sunday morning, he burst forth from the tomb. He came out of the darkness of the tomb and he burst forth into the light of that Sunday morning on Easter day, hallelujah. And every time someone sees the risen Christ, they see the, his light and they are satisfied with forgiveness and new life, hallelujah. I'm so looking forward to Easter Sunday. Four baptisms, four people who were covered over in death, separated from Christ, who couldn't see his light, have been lifted out of death into the light of Christ. And they've got something to celebrate with everybody. It's gonna be one heck of a party. When someone believes in Jesus who died and rose again, they are justified and declared righteous in God's sight. Romans 4, 25. He was, declared, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. How does that work? Think about it, very simple. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead shows that he has defeated death, right? Hallelujah, yeah. What is the penalty for sin? Death. So if Jesus rose from the grave, defeated death, the penalty's been fully paid, right? There it is, there's the clue. So you and I are fully acquitted at the bar of God's judge, judgment. We are forgiven. We are made new. We are completely new creations. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Third and lastly, it was God's will for Jesus to die so that we could share in his victory. Jesus poured out his life by dying on the cross, but then he rose from the grave and he was exalted and lifted up to the right hand of the Father. This is a picture of a victory parade, verse 12. Um, there's a victory parade in Paris. And being found, oh sorry, there's a verse 12 somewhere, thank you. Somewhere there, I think. Okay, no worries. Paul describes it like this. After Jesus was humbled as a servant, and died, he was lifted up, Philippians 2, being found in appearance as a man, he, um, hang on, can we go back one? <laughs> he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And now, next slide, I feel like Chris Whitty here, 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That's put you off, isn't it? <laughs> God has exalted him. Following his death and resurrection, he's been exalted. He is victorious. And in this way, Jesus has made intercession for the transgressors. What does that mean? It's a bit of a weird phrase, isn't it? We are transgressions, we, transgressors. We've broken God's law. But Jesus, through his offering of sin for our guilt, has paid for our transgression and made us right with God by bearing our sin. That's what it means. We've been put right with God through Jesus offering himself as a sin offering. That's what it means. We haven't had much uh, medal success in the Winter Olympics, have we? But we have had success in the past, haven't we? You remember the glory years of 2012? And uh, actually, Adam Peaty, I've got a picture of him now. Um, he won a gold, didn't he, in the swimming? Was the swimming, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm just checking. So here's a picture of, of Adam Peaty. You know, when an athlete wins a gold medal, it isn't just the athlete themselves who celebrates, right? The whole of the team, GB, celebrate. Even the Scottish celebrate. <laughs> we celebrate the curling, don't we, when we win that. So we're, we let them celebrate with us when we win. It's <laughs> just one for Alison, who's not very well today and is on Zoom. Bless you, Alison. Get better. And George. When someone wins a gold medal, it is not just them that shares in the victory. The whole of the team celebrates. All of the GB supporters in the stadium celebrate. Every person in Britain celebrates and joins in and enjoys the victory, right? And that's what happens when one man, Jesus, won the victory over sin and death, we all get to share in that and celebrate and enjoy it, right? We all get a gold medal around our neck. We all get to be called God's children. We all get to share in an eternal inheritance in heaven. We all get the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us, who calls us God's children. We all get to enjoy the forgiveness and peace and mercy of God in Christ. Through Jesus, the victory is also ours in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I feel as though I haven't even begun to do justice to this incredible piece of scripture. Jesus, forgive me. But Lord, there are such treasures here, such depths of truth, Lord. How can we possibly plumb the depths of, of your word, Lord? And yet, Lord, we want to dare to say thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for having mercy on us and for forgiving us. Thank you that you declare us not guilty. We're not condemned. I want to say to anybody this morning who's feeling condemned and who's struggling with shame and guilt, you in Christ are declared not guilty. Jesus has taken your sin upon himself on the cross 
and he declares over you this morning that you are acquitted. You are righteous in Christ. There is now no longer any condemnation for you. The past is done. You have died to the past. The past has been buried as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed your transgressions from him. And so if that's you this morning, if you're struggling under the weight of guilt, condemnation, if you feel that you're not cutting it, Jesus would say to you this morning, I love you. I gave myself for you. And I declare over you this morning that you are forgiven. You are free. You are free from sin. You are free from the past. You belong to me. You are my dearly loved child. Just look at the cross. That's how much I love you. That's how forgiven you are. That's how loved you are. Just receive that gift of righteousness from Christ now, just in the quietness. Others of you just sense, Lord, the Lord is saying, there is a victory parade still to come for you. And you will share in that victory parade with those who've gone before you. Those you've loved and have gone ahead of you and are now with Christ, you will share in that victory parade in a new heaven and a new earth. So be comforted. Be comforted today. Be hopeful today. God has already placed that gold medal around your neck. And one day, you will share that victory with others who've gone before. So receive that victory today. Receive that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.